Paddington Abroad, Chapter Five, Paddington and the Pardon. The Browns soon settled down in the village, and in no time at all, it seemed as if they had always lived there. The news that a young English bear gentleman was staying at the hotel quickly spread, and Paddington was soon a popular figure in the streets, especially in the early mornings when he did his shopping before going to the beach. He paid a visit to his new friend, Monsieur Dupont, most days. Monsieur Dupont spoke very good English, and they had several chats together on the subject of buns. Monsieur Dupont not only showed Paddington round his ovens, but he also promised to bake some special English buns for his elevensies into the bargain. After all, he explained, it is not every day we have a bear staying in Saint Castile. And he put a notice in his shop window saying that in future special buns made to the recipe of a young English bear of quality would be on sale. There were so many new and interesting things to see and do that Paddington had to sit up late in bed several nights running in order. To write everything in his scrapbook while it was still fresh in his mind. One morning he was awakened early by the sound of shouting and banging outside the hotel, and when he looked out of the window, he discovered, to his astonishment, that a great change had come over the village. It was always busy with people hurrying to and fro about their daily tasks. But on this particular morning, it seemed to be twice as busy as usual. Even the people were dressed in quite a different way. Instead of their blue overalls and red jerseys, and fishermen's all had on their best suits, and the women and girls were wearing dresses covered in stiff white lace with tall lace hats to match. Nearly all the fruit and vegetable stalls had gone, and in their place had been taken by other stalls decorated with colored flags and striped awnings and laden with boxes of sweets and row upon row of wax candles. It was all most unusual, and after a quick wash, Paddington hurried downstairs to investigate the matter. Madame Pinet, the owner of the hotel, was at her desk in the entrance hall when Paddington entered, and she looked at him rather doubtfully when he consulted his phrase book. Madame Pinet's English was no better than Paddington's French, and things always seemed to go wrong when they tried to talk to each other. It is, she began in reply to his question, how do you say a pardon? That's all right, said Paddington politely. I only wondered what was happening. It looks very interesting. Madame Pinet nodded. That is right, she said. It is, how do you say, a pardon. Paddington gave Madame Pinet a hard stare as he backed away. Although he was a polite bear, he was beginning to get a bit fed up with raising his hat and saying, Pardon. In return, and so he hurried outside and across the square in order to consult Monsieur Dupont on the subject. To his surprise, when he entered the shop, he made an even more startling discovery, for in place of the white smock and hat which he usually wore, Monsieur Dupont 
had on a very smart dark blue uniform covered in gold braid. Monsieur Dupont laughed when he saw the expression on Paddington's face. It is all to do with the pardon, Monsieur Labert, he said. And he went on to explain that in France, pardon was the name given to a very special festival, and that in Brittany, in particular, there were pardons for many different reasons. There were pardons for fishermen and farmers, and there was even a pardon for the birds, not to mention horses and cattle. In the morning, said Monsieur Dupont, there is always a procession when everyone goes to church, and afterwards there is much celebration. This year, he went on, we have a fair and a fireworks display. Why, there is even a pardon in the village band. Monsieur Dupont drew himself up to his full height. That is why I am in uniform, Monsieur Labert, he exclaimed proudly. For I am the leader of the band. Paddington looked most impressed as he listened to Monsieur Dupont, and after thanking him for all his trouble, he hurried back to the hotel in order to tell the others. Most days the Browns went down to the beach, but when they heard Paddington's news, they quickly changed their plans. After a hurried breakfast, they joined the rest of the villagers in going to church. And that afternoon, by popular vote, they made their way towards a field just outside the village where the fair was taking place. Paddington stood in a trance as he gazed at the sight which met his eyes. It was the first time he had been to a fair, and he didn't even remember ever having seen or heard anything quite like it before. There were huge wheels soaring up into the sky. There were gaily painted swings and slides. There were roundabouts carrying dozens of shrieking, laughing people round and round as they clung to wooden horses painted all colors of the rainbow. There were coconut shies and sideshows. Everywhere there were colored lights flashing on and off, and in the center of it all there was a huge organ playing happy music as it let out clouds of steam. In fact, there were so many things crammed into such a small space, it was difficult to decide what to do first. In the end, after testing the slides and swings a number of times, Paddington turned his attention to one of the roundabouts, and when he discovered that bears under 16 were allowed on for half price on pardon days, he had several more goes for good measure. Monsieur Dupont had a very worried look on his face when Paddington got off the roundabout and joined the Browns. Once a year, he said, as he repeated the story for Paddington's benefit, we have a parade in the village band, and tonight, of all nights, the man who plays the big drum has been taken ill. What a shame, said Mrs. Brown. It must be very disappointing. "'Can't you find anyone else?' asked Mr. Brown. Monsieur Dupont shook his head sadly. "'They are all much too busy enjoying themselves at the fair,' he said. "'And already we are late for rehearsals.' As he listened to the others talking, Paddington's eyes got larger and larger, and several times he looked over his shoulder at the roundabout, 
Perhaps I could help, Mr. Dupont, he said excitedly, when the baker had finished talking. You, Monsieur Labert, said Monsieur Dupont, looking most surprised. But what could you do? When he had finished, Monsieur Dupont stroked his chin thoughtfully. It is certainly most strange, he said. It is extraordinaire that a bear should help me. Monsieur Dupont grew more and more enthusiastic as he considered the matter. I have never before heard of a bear playing in a band, he said. It would be a great attraction. The Browns exchanged glances. I'm sure it's a very great honor, said Mrs. Brown, doubtfully. But is it wise? What is a band? cried Monsieur Dupont, waving his arms dramatically in the air. Without someone at the back who can go bomb, bomb, bomb. The Browns were silent. There didn't seem to be any answer to Monsieur Dupont's question. Oh, well, said Mrs. Brown. It's your band. In that case, said Monsieur Dupont briskly, the matter is settled. The Browns watched anxiously as Monsieur Dupont and Paddington hurried off to start their rehearsals. The idea of Paddington becoming a member of the village band gave rise to thoughts of all sorts of awful possibilities. But as the afternoon wore on, despite their first misgivings, they became quite excited at the idea, and by the time night fell and they settled themselves on the hotel balcony in readiness for the grand march past, even Mr. Brown kept repeating how much he was looking forward to it all. In the distance, they could hear the musicians turning up their instruments, and several times there was a loud bang as Paddington tested his drum for the last time. I only hope he doesn't make a mistake and ruin everything, said Mrs. Brown. He's not really very musical. If some of the banging that goes on at the home is anything to go by, said Mrs. Bird, looking up from her knitting, there's nothing to worry about. Suddenly, after a short pause, there was a great flurry of sound and a cheer went up from the waiting villagers at the band. Led by Monsieur Dupont, entered the square to the tune of a rousing march. Monsieur Dupont himself looked very impressive as he threw his stick in the air with a flourish and caught it with one hand as it came down. But the biggest cheer of all was reserved for Paddington as he came into view behind a very large drum. The news that the young English bear gentleman had stepped in at the last moment to save the day had quickly gone round, and a large crowd had turned out to witness the event. Paddington felt most important when he heard the applause, and he waved his paw several times to acknowledge in between hitting the drum, reserving a special wave for the Browns as he passed the hotel. Well, said Mrs. Bird proudly, as the, bound, as the band disappeared from view up the street, that bear may only be bringing up the rear, but I thought he was better than all the rest put together. I've managed to get some pictures, said Mr. Brown, lowering his camera, but I'm afraid they're only back views. You'll be able to get some from the front in a minute, Dad, said Jonathan. I think they're on their way back. Mr. Brown hurriedly reloaded his camera as the sound of the music got louder again.
having finished off the first tune with a series of loud crashes, and band had broken into another march and was heading back towards the square. Paddington doesn't seem quite so loud now, said Mrs. Brown, as they settled back in their seats. I hope he isn't having trouble with his sticks. Perhaps his paws are getting tired, said Judy. Goodness, exclaimed Jonathan, jumping up as the band came into view again. He isn't with them anymore. What's that? exclaimed Mr. Brown, lowering his camera. Not there. But he must be. The Browns peered anxiously over the edge of the balcony, and even Monsieur Dupont glanced over his shoulder several times before he brought the band to a halt in the middle of the square. But Paddington was nowhere to be seen. That's funny, said Mr. Brown, cupping his hand to his ear as the music stopped. I can still hear something. The others listening intently. The sound Mr. Brown had heard seemed to be coming from far side of the village. It was getting fainter and fainter all the time, but it was definitely that of a drum. Crumbs! I bet that's Paddington, said Judy. He must have carried straight on by mistake when the others turned back. We'd better go after him then, said Mr. Brown urgently. There's no knowing where he might end up. The Browns began to look worried as the full meaning of the situation sank in. Even Paddington himself, had he been in a position to see what was going on, would have agreed that things looked rather black. But as it was, he plodded on his merry way, unaware of the turn of events. All in all, what with the fair and the band rehearsal, he had spent a most enjoyable day. But now that the first excitement of the march past was over, he was beginning to wish it would soon come to an end. To start with, the drum was much too large and heavy for his liking, and having short legs made it difficult to keep in step. The drum was strapped to his front, and during rehearsals he had been able to rest it on his suitcase. But now that he was on the march, it was much higher and he couldn't even begin to see over the top. Apart from having no idea where he was, it was getting very hot inside his duffel coat, and the jogging had made the hood fall over his ears so that he couldn't hear the other musicians. Monsieur Dupont had taken great pains to explain how important an instrument the drum was, and that even when the band stopped playing, it still had to be banged so that the others could keep in step. But as far as Paddington could make out, for the past five minutes it had been all drum and no band, and he was beginning to get a bit fed up. The farther along the road he went, the heavier it became, and to add to his troubles his knees began to sag under the weight, and the duffel coat hood fell completely over his head and stayed there. Just as he was trying to make up his mind whether or not to call out for help, matters were suddenly decided for him. One moment he was plodding along the road, and the next moment his foot met something. But it was only air. In fact, he hardly had time to let out a gasp, 
of surprise before everything seemed to turn upside down, and before he knew where he was, he found himself lying on his back with what seemed like a ton weight on top of him. Paddington lay there. He was for some moments gasping for breath before he cautiously pulled back his coat hood and peered out. To his surprise, neither Monsieur Dupont nor the rest of the band were anywhere in sight. In fact, the only thing he could see at all were the moon, the stars, and the sky above. Worse still, when he tried to get up again, he found he couldn't, for the drum was resting on his stomach, and try as he might, he couldn't move it. Paddington let out a deep sigh as he lay back in the road. Oh, dear, he said, addressing the world in general. I'm in trouble again. What a good thing you kept on banging the drum, said Mrs. Brown, thankfully. You might have stayed there all night. It was some while later. Everyone had gathered in the hotel lounge in order to hear Paddington's explanation of the evening's events and how he had come to be rescued. I think I must have put my paw in a pothole by mistake, Mrs. Brown, said Paddington, when I couldn't get up again because the drum was on top of me. Mrs. Brown wanted to ask Paddington why he hadn't tried undoing the strap but she tactfully kept silent. As it was, far too many people were talking at once, and quite a crowd had collected in order to congratulate Paddington and Monsieur Dupont on their march past. In any case, Paddington was much too busy with his own problems, and from a distance he looked as if it was trying to turn himself inside out. "'It's all right, Mrs. Brown,' he said hurriedly, when he saw her look concerned. I was only testing the lines on my paw. Well, I hope you found something interesting after that, said Mrs. Bird. It looked most uncomfortable. I'm not sure, said Paddington hopefully, but it looked like fireworks. Hmm, said Mrs. Brown darkly, as a sudden whoosh came from outside and the first rocket of the evening lit up the sky. It sounds suspiciously like a bear's wishful thinking to me. But her words fell on deaf ears, for Paddington had already disappeared outside, closely followed by Jonathan and Judy, and Mr. Brown and Monsieur Dupont bringing up the rear. Paddington liked fireworks, and now that he had recovered from his adventure with the drum, he was looking forward to the evening's display. Judging by the noise going on in the square outside the hotel, he had a feeling French fireworks might be a very good value indeed, and he didn't want to miss a single moment of the fun. A Spot of Fishing, Chapter 6 How about a spot of fishing today? asked Mr. Brown at breakfast one morning. Mr. Brown's query was greeted with various ways by other members of the family. Mrs. Brown and Mrs. Bird exchanged anxious glances. Jonathan and Judy let out whoops of delight, and while Paddington nearly fell off his seat with excitement. "'What are you going to fish for?' asked Mrs. Brown, hoping her husband, her husband might suggest something safe near the seashore. "'Mackerel,' said Mr. Brown vaguely, "'or we might even try for some sardines. Anyway, 
All those in favor, raise their hands. Mr. Brown looked pleased at the response of his idea. That's four to two in favor, he said. That's two all, said Mrs. Brown sternly. Bears who raise both their paws at the same time are disqualified. Well, I haven't voted yet, said Mr. Brown, putting up his hand. So that's still three to two. There's a nice little island just outside the bay, he continued. We can sail out there and make it our base. Did you say sail out there? asked Mrs. Brown nervously. That's right, said Mr. Brown. I met Admiral Grundy just before breakfast, and he's invited us out for the day. Mrs. Brown and Mrs. Bird began to look even less enthusiastic at Mr. Brown's last remark, and even Paddington's whiskers drooped noticeably into his roll and marmalade. Admiral Grundy was a retired English naval officer who lived in a house called the Crow's Nest on the cliffs just outside the village. The Browns had met him on one or two occasions, and he had a voice like a rusty foghorn, which always made them rather nervous. The first time he had bellowed at them so loudly from the top of the cliff that Mrs. Brown had been quite worried in case there was a fall of rock, and Paddington had dropped his ice cream comb into the sea in his fright. "'Been watching you for the last three days through me telescope?' he'd roared at, Mrs. at Mr. Brown. "'No, by your shorts, you must be English. Thought I saw a bear gallivanting about on the beach. Couldn't believe me eyes.' "'I think his bark's worse than his bite,' said Mr. Brown, "'and he seems very keen on our going out with him. "'I don't suppose he sees many English people now he's retired.' "'Hm,' said Mrs. Bird mysteriously. "'I can see we've got some preparations to make.' "'And with that she left the table and disappeared upstairs, "'only to return a few minutes later armed with a small parcel.' which she handed to Paddington. "'Something told me we might be going sailing,' she said. "'Seawater makes bears first sticky, "'so I made a sea-going outfit before we left out "'of one of Jonathan's old cycling capes.' "'Paddington gasped with astonishment "'when he untied the parcel and saw what was inside, "'and everyone stood round admiring while he donned a pair of oilskin leggings, a jacket, and a souster. "'Thank you very much, Mrs. Bird,' he said gratefully, as he made some final adjustments to his braces. "'That settles it,' said Mr. Brown. "'We shall simply have to go sailing now.' After they had collected their belongings, the Browns made their way down the winding cobbled streets leading to the harbor and Paddington followed them in a daze. To have one surprise was a nice way to start any day, but to be told that he was going sailing and to have a new outfit at the same time was doubly exciting. Paddington was very keen on boats and harbors, and he liked the one at St. Castile in particular, for it was quite different than anything he had ever seen before in his travels. 
For one thing, the fishermen used most unusual light blue nets, which looked very happy when they were hung out to dry. And even the men themselves were different, for instead of wearing dark blue jerseys and rubber boots like most fishermen, they had red jackets and wooden clogs called sabots. Paddington had spent a lot of his time sitting on the quayside with the Browns watching the activities in the harbor as the sardine boats came and went, and he was looking forward to the day's outing. Admiral Grundy was already on board his yacht when the Browns arrived and they rounded the corner to give a start and then fixed Paddington with a steely look from beneath his bushy eyebrows. Shiver me timbers, he exploded. What's this? Expectin' a gale? Shiver your timbers, Mr. Grundy, exclaimed Paddington with interest. He peered hard at the Admiral's boat, but it appeared to be all in one piece, and the planks seemed well stuck together. I think he's surprised at your oilskins, whispered Judy, as the Admiral looked up at the sun and then back at Paddington. My oilskin, said Paddington haughtily, giving the Admiral a hard stare back. There's some of Mrs. Bird's specials. Recovering himself, the Admiral held out his hand gallantly to Mrs. Bird. Welcome aboard, ma'am, he said. Hope I haven't offended you. Come along now. "'Women and bears first. You can go up forward, bear,' he said to Paddington as he clambered aboard. "'Keep a sharp lookout and listen for me instructions.' After touching the brim of his sewester with his paw, Paddington hurried along the deck until he reached the front of the boat. He wasn't quite sure what he was supposed to look out for, but he felt very pleased he'd brought his opera glasses along with him, and he spent several moments peering through them at the horizon. Although he didn't want to offend Mrs. Bird after all the trouble she had taken, he was beginning to wish he'd taken Admiral Grundy's advice and kept his sailing outfit until a storm blew up. Apart from the fact that he was a very hot Apart from the fact that it was a very hot day, his braces kept slipping off his shoulders and he had to hold his trousers up with one paw, which made keeping a lookout very difficult. He was suddenly startled out of his daydreams by a roar from the back of the yacht. Stand by forward, bellowed the admiral as he inspected his ship. Watch the birdie, he shouted pointing to a small, triangular flag which flew at the masthead. "'Tell you which way the wind's blowin', he explained to Mrs. Bird, who was sheltering in the stern beneath her sunshade. "'Most important. "'Get ready to splice the main brace down below,' he called to Mr. Brown, who was somewhere in the cabin. "'Stand by to cast off.' Up forward, bear. From his position in the front of the admiral's yacht, Paddington was getting more and more confused by all the shouting. Setting sail was much more complicated than he had imagined. First of all, he thought the admiral had said something about watching a birdie, 
but the only birds he could see were seagulls, and most of those seemed to be asleep. Then the admiral had bellowed something about splicing his braces. Paddington was most surprised by the last order, for although his trousers were getting lower and lower, he hadn't realized anyone else had noticed, and he hastily picked up a coil of rope and began trying, tying round his middle to be on the safe side. Stand by, bellowed the admiral. I'm going to haul up me mainsail. Nothing like a good sailing craft, he continued with satisfaction as he pulled away at the rope. Can't stand engines meself. I must say it's a lovely sight, began Mrs. Brown, as a large white sail bellowed out in the breeze. She broke off and stared at the admiral. Is anything the matter? she asked. Where's that young bear fellow of yours got to? exploded the admiral. Don't tell me he's fallen overboard. "'Good gracious!' exclaimed Mrs. Bird. "'Where on earth can he have got to?' The Browns looked over the side into the water, but there was neither sight nor sound of Paddington. "'Can't see anything but bubbles,' said the Admiral. "'And as for hearing nothing, couldn't hear a ship's siren with all that jabbering going on ashore, let alone a bear's cry.' The Browns looked up. Now that the Admiral mentioned it, there did seem to be a lot of noise going on. Quite a number of the fishermen on the quarry were waving their arms, and several were pointing up to the sky. Good grief! exploded the admiral as he stood up and shaded his eyes against the sun. He's up aloft, got himself hoisted to me mainmast. I was only splicing my braces, gasped Paddington, looking most offended as he was lowering back down on the deck. I was having trouble with my oilskins, and I think I must have picked up the wrong rope by mistake. I think, said Mrs. Bird quickly, pouring oil on troubled waters before the Admiral had time to speak, you'd better sit down in the back with me out of harm's way. Already quite a large crowd had collected on the side, and she didn't like the look on the Admiral's face. It seemed to have gone a rather nasty shade of purple. Paddington dusted himself down and then settled thankfully in the seat alongside Mrs. Bird while orders, while order was restored and the Admiral once more made ready to sail. Within a matter of moments, everything was shipshape, and before long they found themselves skimming through the open water outside the harbor. While Jonathan and Judy sat on the deck watching the wash of the waves breaking over the bow of the yacht, Mr. Brown set up his rod and line, and even Paddington had to go over the stern with a piece of string and a bent pin which Mrs. Bird found in her handbag. It was all so new and interesting that it seemed no time at all before they found themselves on the island. Apart from all the admiral's things, Mr. Brown had brought along a tent and a large hamper of food, which Mrs. Bird had brought had bought in the village store. While Jonathan and Judy and Paddington made ready to explore the island, the admiral and Mr. Brown began unloading the yacht. 
It was as they turned to go back to their second trip that the admiral suddenly let out an extra loud bellow and began pointing out to sea as he danced up and down the beach. It's adrift, he cried. Me yachts adrift. The Browns followed the direction of the admiral's gaze with alarm only to see the yacht dancing on the waves some distance away as it headed out to sea. Shiver me timbers! roared the admiral. Didn't anyone tie it up? The Browns looked at each other in excitement of landing on the island they had left it to the admiral. We thought you'd done it, said Mr. Brown. Fifty years at sea, growled the admiral, stomping up and down the beach. Never lost a ship yet, let alone been marooned. What a crew! Can't see. Can't you send up a distress signal or something? said Mrs. Brown unhappily. Can't, growled the admiral. Me flares are on board. So are my matches, said Mr. Brown. So we can't even light a bonfire. Admiral Grundy stomped up and down the beach several more times, growling to himself before he stopped and pointed to Mr. Brown's tent. I'll set up my headquarters on the grass at the top of the beach, he exclaimed. Must have a bit of peace and quiet while I think up some way of letting the Johnnies on the mainland know what's happened. I'll help. If you like, said Mr. Grundy, said Paddington, anxious to lend a paw. Thank you, Bear, said Admiral gruffly. But you'll have to be careful with your knots. Don't want it blowing over as soon as I get inside. Leaving the Browns in a forlorn group on the beach, they discussed the prospect of spending a night on the island, and the Admiral picked up the tent and headed towards the top of the beach. Closely followed by Paddington. Paddington was very interested in the subject of Mr. Brown's tent. He had come across it once or twice when he had been exploring the attic at Windsor Gardens, and he'd never seen it in use before. When they reached the grass, he sat down on a nearby rock and watched carefully while the Admiral untied and carried. The carrying case and spread a large sheet of white canvas over the ground, together with several lengths of wooden poles and a number of ropes. After joining the wooden poles together into two lengths, the admiral fitted the canvas sheet over them and then lifted the whole lot into the air. I'll hold the poles, bear, he roared as he disappeared inside. If you'll fix The ropes. You'll find some stakes in the bag. Paddington jumped up from the rock. He wasn't at all sure what ropes were that he was talking about, let alone stakes. But he had was glad to be able to do something useful at least. And as he hurried forward and peered in the bag, he was even more pleased to see. That as well as a mallet and some pieces of wood, there was a book of instructions. Paddington liked instruction books, especially when there were plenty of pictures inside, and Mr. Brown seemed to have a great many. On the cover, there was one which showed a man hammering the pieces of wood into the ground, and although the man in the picture wore shorts and was fat and jolly, not a bit like the Admiral. 
who was very gruff. He felt sure it would be a great help. "'What's going on, bear?' exclaimed the admiral in a muffled voice. "'Shake a leg there. I can't hold up these much longer.' Paddington looked up and saw to his surprise that the admiral and his tent were no longer where they had started off. There was a strong breeze blowing now, and they were away from the beach, and the admiral seemed to be having some difficulty in staying upright as the canvas billowed out like a sail. "'Hold on, Mr. Grundy,' cried Paddington, waving his mallet in the air. "'I'm coming!' After consulting the instructions several more times, he picked up a paw full of stakes and hurried across to where the admiral was struggling. Paddington was keen on hammering, and he spent an enjoyable few minutes banging all the stakes into the ground and making fast the various ropes before pulling them tight as the admiral had told him. There were a great many ropes. In fact, there seemed to be far more than there were in the picture, and Paddington had to make several trips back to the bag for more stakes, so that it all took much longer than he had expected. Apart from that, the admiral kept shouting for him to make haste, so that he became more and more confused, and the knots, far from being neat and tidy, like the ones in the instructions, began to look more and more like a piece of very old knitting that had gone wrong. "'Is that a new tent?' asked Mrs. Bird, as she viewed the goings-on from the beach. "'No,' replied Mr. Brown. "'It's the same old one. Why do you ask?' "'It looks different to me,' said Mrs. Bird. "'It's a very odd shape, sort of tall and baggy.' "'Good heavens!' exclaimed Mr. Brown. "'You're right!' "'I think,' said Mrs. Bird, "'we'd better go and see what's happening. "'I don't like the looks of things at all.' In saying this, she didn't like the looks of things. Mrs. Bird was echoing Paddington's thoughts as well as her own for having at long last finished the banging and all the stakes and tying all the knots he stood up to admire his handiwork, only to find to his surprise that the admiral was nowhere in sight.' Even the tent looked quite different to the one shown on the last page of the instructions. The one there was not unlike a small house, with a man in shorts looking as fresh as a daisy, smiling all over his face as he stepped out through a door in the side and waved to a crowd of admiring onlookers. As he mopped his brow and looked at Mr. Brown's tent, even Paddington had to admit to himself that it was more like a bundle of old washing with several lumps sticking out on the side. He hurried all the way round, peering at it closely, and there was nowhere anyone could possibly crawl through, let alone any sign of a door. Worst of all, for there was no sign of a smiling admiral. He seemed to have disappeared altogether. Paddington anxiously tapped one of the lumps th with the side of his hammer. Are you there, Mr. Grundy? he called. Grr! came an explosion from within. That was me head! Paddington jumped back as if it had been shot and nearly fell over one of the ropes in his haste to escape. 
Let me out, bear, roared the admiral. I'll have you in irons for this. Paddington didn't like the sound of being put in irons at all, and he hurriedly consulted the instruction book again in case he had turned over two pages instead of one by mistake. But there wasn't even the section on how to take the tent down again once it was up, let alone anything about missing campers. He tried pulling hard on the ropes, but it was only seemed to make matters worse, and the harder he pulled, the more the admiral bellowed. Paddington! exclaimed Mrs. Brown as they reached him, just in time to be greeted by a particularly loud yell from the admiral. What on earth's going on? I don't know, Mrs. Brown, said Paddington. I think I must have got my guys crossed. It's a bit difficult with paws. Heaven, said Jonathan admiringly as he bent down to examine the tent. I'll say you have. I've never seen knots like that before, not even in the scouts. Good gracious, said Mrs. Bird. We'd better do something quickly. He'll suffocate. One by one, the Browns bent down and looked at the ropes, but the more they pulled and tugged, the tighter became the knots and the fainter became the Admiral's gurglings. It was just as they were giving up all hope of ever setting him free that a most unexpected interruption took place. The Browns had been so intent by the problem of untying Paddington's knots that they had quite failed to notice a lot of activity going on on the beach. The first they knew of it was when they heard voices close at hand and they looked up to find a group of fishermen from the village making their way towards them. "'We saw your signal for help, monsieur,' said the leader in broken English. "'Our signal for help?' repeated Mr. Brown. "'That is right, monsieur,' said the fisherman. "'We saw it from many miles away, "'the young English bear from the hotel waving with white sheets in distress. "'And then we found monsieur the admiral's boat adrift, "'so we came to rescue you.' Mr. Brown stood back while the fishermen gathered round the tent to inspect the knots. "'We don't know whether it's just Paddington,' he said, "'or whether all bears are born under lucky stars.' "'Grump!' growled the Admiral for the umpteenth time, as the story of his rescue was repeated to him. It had taken even the fishermen some while to undo Paddington's knots, and by the time he was set free the Admiral's face had been the color of freshly boiled lobster. But when he had heard the news that his yacht had been found, and he was safely, and safely at anchor in the bay, he soon grew calm again and as the day wore on he became quite jolly even joined in a number of games on the beach i suppose i ought to thank you bear he growled on the way back as he held out his hand could have done with a few more of your short on board me ship in the old days enjoyed myself no end that's all right mr grundy said paddington offering his paw in return he still wasn't quite sure why everyone was thanking him, especially as he had expected to be in trouble. But he wasn't the sort of bear to query his good fortune. Suppose you like cocoa, growled the admiral suddenly. 
Paddington's eyes grew large. Yes, please, he exclaimed, and even the Browns looked most surprised that the Admiral should know such a thing. Haven't traveled the seven seas without learning something about bear's habits, said the Admiral. He shaded his eyes as they entered the harbor mouth and setting sun flickered for a moment behind the house. Don't suppose you've ever tasted real ship's cocoa, he said. Make it meself in a bucket. How about coming up to me cabin for a cup before you go to bed? To that the Browns gave an enthusiastic ay ay and even Paddington was allowed to raise both his paws in agreement. It had been a most exciting and enjoyable day, and although they had none of them so much as seen a glimpse of sardine, let alone caught one, they all agreed there was nothing like a cup of real ship's cocoa to round things off in a proper seaman-like fashion.